Good afternoon, and welcome to this edition of Thunderbird Eye, your weekly update of UBC Varsity Athletics, right here on CITR 101.9 FM in Vancouver. I'm Jason Wang, and I'll be joined a bit later on in the program by Tim Winter as well. But first, we'll begin with UBC Thunderbirds women's basketball. The T-Birds this week coming up in week four of their conference schedule will battle the Victoria Vikes in a two-game home and home series. First, the Thunderbirds will be away at Victoria tomorrow battling UVic, and then the Vikes will travel across on the BC Ferries commute here to UBC campus to take on the Thunderbirds in Game 2 on Saturday evening, what will be marketed as the Thunderstruck Women's Basketball Event Showcase coming up at War Memorial Gym. Last week in Week 3 of Conference Play, the Thunderbirds battled the Manitoba Bisons for UBC's first two home games of Conference Play. Thunderbirds convincingly defeated the Bisons in both matchups uh, last Friday, 80-47, to following up a 71-55 to result to complete the two-game sweep of the University of Manitoba. Thunderbirds were led in scoring by their two powerful forwards, uh, Madison Penn and Kara Spotton. Spotton combined for 31 points across the two games and was uh, only slightly outperformed in that respect by Madison Penn, uh, who combined for 33 points across the two games. The two Thunderbirds high-scoring forwards are really the uh, arrowhead of their offensive play, able to combine for such a large share of their team's scoring. And with those two victories, the Thunderbirds improved to a 4-0 and start to conference play. The Victoria Vikes, meanwhile, enter week four conference play up with a 4-2 and record through the first three weeks. And... I look forward to renewing their cross-Strait of Georgia rivalry with the Thunderbirds uh, tomorrow and Saturday. Kara Spotton spoke to us after the, her team's uh, Saturday performance, 71-55 victory over Manitoba, and this was her post-game interview with UBC Athletics sideline reporter Anissa Hetherington. Um, I think it was, it was a good game. I think yesterday we played a little bit better. Today was a little bit... Uh, more physical. We got in foul trouble. Uh, we had a few players in the first half sitting out. So this game was a lot more physical, but overall I think the second half we played a lot better. And what do you think about those young girls getting a lot of minutes tonight? Um, how do you think those rookies did tonight? I think they're handling it well, and you can see that they're getting better uh, each game. So the more minutes they can play, I think the more they'll be able to work on the plays and just get better overall. And then lastly, uh, going into next weekend against Victoria, it's going to be a little bit of a different, different feel there. Uh, what are your thoughts heading into training this week and going into Victoria? We're all really excited for it. It should be a good game. Uh, Victoria is a great team, so overall I think it would be a, a fun game to go to. We'll have the Thunderstruck Saturday evening matchup between the Vikes and the Thunderbirds live on our CITR sports broadcast uh, Friday night, uh, tipping off at 5 o'clock. You can tune in right here on 101.9 FM for that broadcast live from War Memorial Gymnasium. Over on the men's side of UBC Thunderbirds varsity basketball, the T-Birds this past week, just like their women's counterpart did, completed a two-game sweep of the University of Manitoba Bisons. Uh, first with the Friday result at 96-89 to hold back a late charge of a comeback from the Bisons. And then on the Saturday night result, 
The Thunderbirds this past week uh, narrowly edged out the Bisons 75-72 to complete the two-game sweep. Thunderbirds had their best offensive performance out of their star uh, power forward Connor Morgan. A combined 57 points across the two games, uh, 35 points in the Friday game, followed by 22 more in the Saturday result last weekend. From last Saturday's uh, results in particular, the Thunderbirds had a rookie breakout performance by point guard Isaiah Familia playing 27 minutes off the bench. She contributed four rebounds, two assists, and three steals, and it was, was a very impressive uh, first home weekend performance for him. And our basketball analyst, Doug Richards, spoke to Isaiah Familia for his thoughts about uh, his first home game performance with the Thunderbirds. I mean, we're going into half, we're down seven, but uh, we kept our spirits up for sure. And a seven-point game in CIS is, is uh, nothing. So um, we're picking up each other, especially when we were down in foul trouble. And coach uh, put me in start the second half. And I just, you know, the, the, my shots weren't falling. I just had to bring um, other aspects of the game, rebounding, playing defense. And uh, it was a great team win. You did hit one very key three-point shot uh, for the for the Thunderbirds that uh, I think really set the tone for uh, uh, this comeback. Yeah, um, just coming off the bench. And hey, just, gotta have, just gotta have confidence coming in, and uh, that's my thing. Um, even though I'm a rookie, I, I try to just you know just pl um, play within the within the system and uh, just play great defense. That's that's what kept me on the floor tonight. So. Well, one thing from Kevin Hansen is that uh, uh, rookies don't get a lot of uh, time off the bench. Uh, they don't get a lot of court time yeah. here, but you certainly made the most of your uh, opportunity. Uh, great defensive effort as well. I remember one steal that you ripped away from the Bison uh, uh, player there and uh, a lot of other uh, uh, defensive plays that you were able to make. Uh, yeah, so this, uh, the main thing is making plays on both ends. Especially, uh, it's defense first. That's our concept here at UBC. So, um, defense led to offense, and we were able to get out in transition in the second half, and that's why we were able to uh, take this game. Just like the women's basketball counterparts, the Thunderbirds men's basketball team also will be competing against the Victoria Vikes in a two-game home-and-home series. First with the Thunderbirds away at UVic tomorrow, and then on Sunday, the two teams will complete the second half with the Vikes visiting UBC at War Memorial Gym. Uh, Sunday uh, mid-afternoon start for the second game, which we'll carry right here on CITR Sports on 101.9 FM. Staying on the hardwood, we'll make a transition from basketball to volleyball. This past week, the UBC Thunderbirds women's and men's volleyball teams battled the Thompson Rivers University Wolfpack in Kamloops for a two-match weekend series. Beginning first on the women's side, the Thunderbirds this past week in their two-match series at Kamloops split the two-match decision against the Wolfpack, bouncing back from a straight sets Friday defeat last week to win in straight sets the following Saturday. Uh, Thunderbirds in their 3-0 victory on Saturday over TRU had the high-scoring performance from Danielle Breezebois, their reliable attack leader as per usual she led the match high with 18 kills on 31 attacks and 20 points overall in the match the one and one split decision from last week uh, puts ubc in a three-way tie for second place in the conference with a five and one record through uh, the first uh, four weeks of conference play on the men's side meanwhile the thunderbirds in their two-match series 
had back-to-back -back victories over Thompson Rivers. Three sets to one last Friday and then three sets to two going the full five sets last Saturday. Uh, UBC won an extra points in that matchup, 17-15 deciding in the fifth. And they managed this victory uh, having won the first set as well in extra points, 29-27, following two sets on the Thompson River side. Uh, forced the fifth and deciding set with a 25-18 fourth. And in this match in particular, they were led in attacking by Irvan Brar, the captain of the team. Uh, 17 kills, team high on 40 attacks for 18 points overall. With the two wins, the Thunderbirds uh, improved to a 4-2 record. They are in a massive five-way tie for fourth place in the conference after four weeks of conference play. And their next opponent, Trinity Western University Spartans, are the current the, the only undefeated team as the leading Canada West squad, a 6-0 record through the first four weeks. And it will be a home-and-home -home series, Thunderbirds and the Spartans coming up. Uh, Friday, the Thunderbirds hosting Trinity Western in a matinee mid-afternoon battle at War Memorial Gym, followed by the uh, away game to finish out the two-match series Saturday at the Langley Event Centre. We'll head into a public service announcement break and on the other side continue on with more weekly updates of your UBC Varsity Athletics. Uh, we'll bring in Tim Winter on the other side of this break here. Tune in on Thunderbird Eye on 101.9 FM Vancouver. Hold of some pigskin. This is my shimmering life prize. All I must do is create a diversion. What could distract people who love sports? Sports. 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 Do you find sports distracting? Feel the need to chant sports for hours on end? Then come on by the CITR station at the new sub to get involved. We do play-by-play, -play, color commentary, audio production, interviews, and so much more. Only on CITR 101.9. Trouble finding affordable, fresh-baked goods and coffee? Come down to Agora Cafe located in the McMillan Building at UBC. There's also space available to study. My name is Sahan, the president of UBC Persian Club. And this is Yasaman, the VP admin. UBC Persian Club is a non-profit student organization with the goal of empowering the Iranian community at UBC by acting as a social hub for Iranian students, bringing together diverse members of the community who have a common interest in Iranian culture and nurturing and representing the Iranian community in Vancouver. They have monthly member-exclusive events, Pelan, the screen documentary movies, and short films by Iranian directors with English subtitles. Music gatherings, a series of casual music gatherings at which students can play different types of instruments and sports events and game nights. Our regular events are member exclusive and you will receive 25% discount on our annual events. You can visit us at ubcpc.com or email us through info at ubcpc.com Or you can follow Large us on Facebook, wearing green Instagram pants, or grabbed a woman by the hair and slammed her face into the glass window of a fire extinguisher case. He pulled her head back and hit her again, continuing to do so until the glass broke. The woman sustained deep cuts all over her face and eventually became unresponsive. The man then released his grip and she fell to the floor. This is a scene from an Emmy award-winning cartoon. If we want violence against women to stop, shouldn't we stop treating it like a joke? Join the conversation at hashtag not okay. November 
Welcome back here to the Thunderbird Eye on CITR 101.9 FM. And joining me now is Scott Howe, the founder of the Howe International Friendship League. It's a company that organizes exhibition sporting events around the world, combining tourism with sports run by Howe and his managing partner, Gordon Israel. Last year, they conducted a series of exhibition games in Pyongyang with the North Korean national ice hockey team. Scott, how are you doing? I'm good. How are you? Great, thanks. Uh, so, Scott, I understand you've got some roots here in Vancouver. Yeah, I was born and raised in North Vancouver, um, and I lived there for most of my life up until I was about 20 when I started traveling. And at what point did you come up with the idea for the uh, Friendship League? Yeah, so I was in North Korea about two years ago, um, and I was running some workshops for a charity that does entrepreneurial training inside special economic zones in and around Pyongyang. And on that trip, I was driven past the ice rink. And up until that point, I had no idea there was hockey inside the DPRK. And I just started asking around, and one thing led to another. And it just kind of grew from there. Is this something you had experience with before organizing sporting events? No, this it was the first time I'd ever tried anything like that. It was just I saw the ice rink, and I got the idea stuck in my head. So... I just kind of started emailing around and asking for advice from people, and it all just kind of came together bit by bit over the course of about a year. That's pretty fantastic. Um, how do you select your locations? Um, for for our event, most of them come from places that we have some sort of personal connection with. So, for example, our event in Kenya. Um, I used to live in Kenya, and I worked there for a couple years. Um, so that was where that came from. In Costa Rica, I've just traveled there a couple times, and I think it's a great place. So I got in touch with some of my friends in Costa Rica, and we started working on our flag football event from there. Why would you choose North Korea? Yeah, it's, we, <laughs> we get this question a lot. It's, it's a place that a lot of people don't really think of to travel to, but... For me, when I travel, I like to go places that are as completely different from my hometown as possible. And in that sense, the DPRK is kind of the most different or the most unique. So I initially just wanted to go there just to kind of experience it and see what life was like in the world's most secretive country. And once I was there, I just kind of realized that the average Canadian really doesn't know that much about the average North Korean and I would actually say the average North Korean knows more about Canadians than we do about them. And I just thought that this would kind of be a good way to bridge that cultural gap and just try and create some sort of engagement between communities. What was the actual process like in setting something like this up? I imagine it's, uh, it's not something you learn in school, how to organize events with the North Korean government. <laughs> yeah, I would actually say if there's anybody out there listening with ideas like this, just ask, because it really was that simple. I just got in touch with a tour company that regularly works with the DPRK government. I wrote up a, a single-page document of what I wanted to do, who I am, and when we wanted to do it, and we forwarded it in. And a couple months later, I got a response back. They had a couple issues, but for the most part, they were really open to it, and we just communicate via email. Have you guys thought about trying any other sports with North Korea? Yeah, we would definitely like to expand into other sports. We're looking at doing an inline hockey tournament at some point in the future. 
um, but we're just not really sure where in the DPRK we could actually play that. Um, we're hopeful with hockey. Um, and then one thing we're looking at maybe a couple years from now is hopefully doing some rock climbing. But we have tons of ideas at this point. We're just kind of trying to start slow hockey and then build on it from there. So hopefully in a couple of years we'll be doing quite a few different events. You mentioned lacking or possibly lacking a facility to do the inline skating. What are the actual facilities like in North Korea for athletes? In Pyongyang, they have quite a few different. Each individual sport has its own kind of training center and stadium. And most sports would be recommended. They have basketball, soccer, boxing, some racket sports, all that sort of thing. And the, the quality of the facilities is actually quite high. Um, like the ice, for example, in the Pyongyang ice rink, most of the players that had joined us had said that it was the best ice that they had skated on in Asia. So it is quite high quality. They take their sports very seriously over there. That's incredible. And are your Friendship League games open to um, all individuals? What are like the criteria as far as that goes? Yeah, Anybody's welcome to sign up. Um, regardless of country, of origin, gender, uh, skill level. Um, it usually kind of averages out that the teams kind of compete on an even level, but if you are quite a weak player, we still encourage you to come on out. It's really just if you think it's a cool project and you think it's something that you'd like to do, then we encourage you to come out. I've got to ask because it's probably on everyone's mind. Um, with the relationship between the North Korean government and the Western world, pretty strained to say the least. Um, you guys have generated some pretty polarizing commentary with some praising your company as an innovative way to build bridges and um, others even calling the Friendship League a propaganda tool for the DPRK. How would you respond to these claims? Right. I would say that we believe that there's a distinction between governments and the people. And I think that's what gets lost in the DPRK discussion. It's that when you see so much negativity in the news and you hear so many negative stories, you kind of lose fact, lose sight of the fact that these people are human. And we really don't see an issue with working communities anywhere in the world. And we just think that given the lack of engagement between the DPRK and the international community, we feel that projects like this have a lot of inherent benefit. As far as community, um, there's obviously a language barrier there. How were you and your athletes that you brought over from the other countries able to overcome it or deal with that barrier? A lot of the um, North Korean athletes were actually able to speak English because they do travel overseas for international tournaments. And there's actually quite a few um, universities in Pyongyang that teach English. Um, so in Pyongyang, it's not too difficult, but we bring translators with us on all of our events. So if there's ever anything that kind of gets a little confusing, people can just ask the translator and then it goes through them that way. Did you get the opportunity to interact with any civilians in North Korea? You or anyone who came along with your crew? Yes, we did. Um, so we interacted with a lot of the family members of the hockey players. So a lot of them brought their um, parents or sons and daughters. So we got to hang out with them at the ice rink. There were also quite a few um, like figure skaters that were just kind of hanging out and watching what was going on. And then 
for the management, myself and my partner, Gordon, we were running some sports workshops for children with intellectual disabilities. So through those programs, we get quite a bit of engagement with everyday North Koreans. Yeah, as I understand it, your company donates a portion of the money you make to uh, sports programs for the intellectually disabled. Um, what are the programs like right now in North Korea for those individuals? So historically, there haven't been programs. Um, sports programs for people with intellectual disability is quite, uh, I guess, a new phenomenon and it hasn't really picked up in a lot of the developing world. Um, so we went over and we just kind of introduced the concept and we did a little bit of training and some basic workshops. And now those are kind of slowly growing in Pyongyang. And we're hoping to then now go back a couple times a year and keep bringing coaches and trainers so that we can then expand the program across the country. Uh, as far as coaches and trainers, like, who are you bringing over? Are these, like, um, physiotherapists? Are they professional athlete coaches? What is it exactly? It's a, a mixture. Um, for the most part, we're taking people that um, are experienced in working with people with intellectual disabilities. And um, a lot of them will have experience from their professional field as well. So they'll be physiotherapists, like you mentioned, or that sort of thing. Um, but the, the common, um, I guess the common trait would be that they have experience working with people with intellectual disabilities. And did you manage to bring anyone over in your team with an intellectual disability to, um, I don't know, I guess, build a bridge that way, a, a connection between the current programs we have and the ones they have and yeah had the athletes give the athletes an ability to interact with one another yeah we would definitely like to do that at the future in the future but for um the stuff that we've done in the past it's really been a little unsure of uh, what our capacity would be in the country um there is some communication that we have with the dprk while we're outside but it's always a little difficult to know what exactly is going to happen until you're actually in the country. Um, so now that we've done it a little bit and we're a little more comfortable, we're now hoping to do things like that. Um, so it's definitely on, on the radar. And we also would like to bring uh, North Korean athletes overseas to compete internationally. Um, so we'll most likely start with some small-scale events in China. But our goal is um, hopefully they can compete in international championships and um, world games and that in the future. Yeah, I was wondering about that. As far as um, professional ice hockey teams go out east, I guess the KHL would probably have the predominant presence in like China with uh, Red Star, the team over there. Are you yeah. planning on getting any kind of interaction going between the KHL and the, this North Korean team? We would love to. Um, at this point, we've reached out to a couple of the more professional teams and there's just some issues that come up logistically with transport and visas and sponsor concerns. Um, a lot of the time, sponsors get worried about how the team participating in a tournament in the DPRK is going to reflect on themselves. So it makes it very difficult for a lot of the more elite teams to commit to something like this, even though they might in private say that they actually really believe in it. Um, so while it's something we're hoping to do in the future, I would say until the geopolitical situation changes, it's probably not too likely. Were you planning on getting any North Korean athletes at some point into North America to play an exhibition game here? We would love to, and that is one thing that we are 
um, hoping to work out in the future, but it's still really early in the discussions is to bring a, a DVRK team to kind of do a cross-Canada engagement tour. Um, so ideally, we'd like to bring both a youth team and a men's and women's team, but it all comes down to funding in the end. Um, so if we can pull something like that together, we'd love to make it happen. And I know um, the coaches in the DPRK have expressed their own interest in traveling overseas to get some training. So it's possible. It just all comes down to funding. Uh, you've stated that you're pretty eager to get um, women's ice hockey games going with the PIHL over there. And you guys generated a ton of media interest last year. Um, so were you, is this something that you see being plausible to happen next summer, having women's exhibition games in Korea? We hope so. Um, the main barrier to that is just finding enough women's hockey players. We have about half a team of female hockey players that are willing to go over. So we're just kind of slowly collecting names. And as soon as we get a full team, we're going to um, take them over. We just, at our last event, the women's hockey team came out and watched everything. And they just looked really excited. And we just felt like it was really important to us to try and include them in anything we did in the future. So if there are any female hockey players out there, I really encourage you to get in touch. And hopefully we can make it work. As far as what you've seen with the women's program over in North Korea, is there any significant difference between the men's ice hockey team and the women's ice hockey team in terms of the facilities, their access to um, support, everything like that? No, as far as I can tell, they get quite equal treatment. They both play out of the Pyongyang ice rink. Um, they both seem to have the same level of equipment. Um, they both seem to have the same coaching staff and uh, experience that went into it. So I think they take it equally seriously and for hockey in particular the dprk has kind of a rivalry with the south korean team um and the women i i know are quite close in their skill level so i know that they want to put a lot of effort into that to try and um enhance their side of the rivalry definitely and what else is on the horizon for the friendship league in the future apart from hockey with north korea we have um quite a few ideas uh, in the mix, there's one that we're looking at in the Himalayas in India um, to play a hockey game out there with some of the Indian national team members. Wow. Um, and then we have a, a couple of other ones that we're working on that I'm just not at liberty to disclose yet because we still haven't gotten the necessary permissions to talk about it publicly. But we do have some cool things on the horizon. That's fantastic. And how would, how would people get in touch with you to... Um... I guess, capitalize on the opportunity to do something like this? Yep. So you can visit our website. That's www.friendshipleague.org. Or you can send us a message to contact at friendshipleague.org. And we'll get back to you within 24 hours. Okay. Well, thanks a lot for your time, Scott. Yeah, thanks for having me. And that was Scott Howe the founder of the Howe International Friendship League, and you have been listening to the Thunderbird Eye here on CITR 101.9 FM Vancouver. Coming up next is Seamorg with your Persian Cultural Fix. Thank you very much, and 